Um, thank you all for being here. How many of you need a some? I know I know of one person that needs a paper. If you need uh, the paperwork for the Book of Exodus, if you would, uh, Brother Jeff, for punishment, uh, what I'd like you to do is you'll pass these out, please. Thanks, brother. And I, what I want you to look at is um, we started on page 8. That we talked about the setting, and I stressed some things there. And, uh, and we had just started on the, uh, on the structure of the book of Exodus. And the setting here really is all about their departure. It's all about going to be delivered from the house of bondage. As, as Egypt is going to be referred to even in later places in your Bible... And, uh, and Egypt was the house of bondage, and there rose up a king which knew not Joseph, right? And so that brought a lot of problems to them. And so the, the exodus, though, thank you, brother, uh, though planned through Moses, it was opposed by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had to learn some lessons. I mean, man, he, he, had, a, he had a workforce there that uh, that he could count on their craftsmanship and artisans and so forth and they built those treasure cities and uh, and so he did not want to let them go he did not want to lose those resources and as a result he opposed these things and basically when Moses came to him and said uh, you know that uh, the Lord said let them go and he said well who who is this God, who is Jehovah, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, this kind of brings us where we are, who is this? And ten plagues later, he finds out who Jehovah is. And, uh, and so if you look on page nine, we'll start at the top, you know, Pharaoh refuses seven different times in, uh, in, in denying them their freedom to let them go, and God responds to those, uh, you know, in ten different ways. And so, he was committed, he was committed, if you will, to the deliverance of Israel, that they were going to get out of bondage because it was the will of God and, uh, and he was going to have his way. And, and he does. And so the, the, the fact that he continues these things, it does demonstrate God's, God's intention and commitment to bring deliverance. And remember what Romans 15 and 4 says, knowing this, the things that were written aforetime were for our learning and that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Just as he was committed to them to bring deliverance, he is committed to us in the times in which we live, in the New Testament economy, to bring deliverance to us. And he does so through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see so many parallels here and so many shadows of the, of the real. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a marvelous study. I mean, just like the tabernacle itself. You could spend... Several, I mean several weeks, several lessons just going over all the things, the sockets and the boards and the, and the gold overlay and the linen walls and the, each of the pieces of furniture, the brazen altar and the laver and, and, uh, and then all the things on the inside of the, of the uh, tabernacle itself there in the, not in the Holy of Holies, but in the holy place, the candlestick, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and all those intricate things and how they were made. All those things are reflections, if you will. Rather, they are shadows of the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, uh, and, uh, and so it's very interesting in that. And so yet God demonstrated his commitment to Israel in doing all of these things to persuade Pharaoh to let them go. And so then he, he's going to do these things to demonstrate his power over the natural as well as the supernatural. And then over, over the, uh, what's the word I want to say, over the prideful. Uh, you know, men have been, men for, the, for ages, down through millennia, have been looking for immortality. How to immortalize themselves. And so they put their names on statues, they put their names on buildings. And, uh, you know, we find that in a lot of places today. You find somebody's name, a plaque or whatever, and, uh, and they immortalize their names as they contributed or they did whatever. And so men have sought for immortality. They just wouldn't submit to it God's way. And, uh, and so Pharaoh is no different in this. I mean, he was believed to have been a god. And that Pharaoh was a, 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 fr- descended from God. Ra, his name was Ramses. Ra was the sun god. And so they believed that he was descended from there. And that these people were deity. And you say, well, yeah, brother, yeah, that, you know, that was man. You know, thousands of years ago. Yes, it was. But, you know, not, not, not that far away, there was a time when there was a man sitting in Tokyo inside of a, inside of a building, you know, called, and he was an emperor and the emperor of Japan. And he was considered deity. Why do you think those men would just have, you know, how many of y'all don't know what a bonsai attack is? Okay, bonsai. A bonsai attack is these guys, they would just line up, they'd get them all worked up. And they'd have their samurai swords out. Bonsai, bonsai, bonsai. I mean, like in unison, I'm serious now. Get them all worked up and all that was about for the emperor, for the emperor, for the emperor. And then they would just run in droves, sometimes hundreds of them at a time, right into, right into Marine Corps machine gunners and, and, uh, and infantrymen and, and die by the hundreds and thousands on those islands over there. And why did they do it? Because they believed, they believed that their emperor was a god. And, uh, and you know that when he actually, when at the end of World War II, when he actually addressed people for the first time, there, there's some video of it, you can go there, and, uh, and he stands on this platform, and he's really kind of a humble guy, and he stands there and he takes his hat off, and he waves at these people because they had never really seen him. He'd always been inside those buildings, you know, he's emperor. And, uh, and so when he spoke on the microphone that day for the first time, that was the first time in all of his life that any of them had heard, ever heard the emperor's voice. Because you just don't hear the voice of a god very often for the common man. And, uh, and that's how it was. And so, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. When my grandfather became a... Uh, became uh, a, a U.S. citizen in 1894. I have his citizenship papers. He had to renounce his allegiance to the emperor of Germany. And that's how it was worded. It wasn't that he was renouncing his German citizenship. No, he had to renounce his allegiance to the emperor. That these people held such places of, of power and authority in the life of the average person. So too it was here. And God was going to show them... Man, that he is God. 
and not some man, no matter what building, no matter what his clothing might be. And so all of these, all of these responses here are, are, are given to show that God had power over the natural. When you look at this, water, frogs, lice, flies, and, uh, and then, if you will, all the other, and then, and then the supernatural, like hail mingled with fire. We haven't seen that one lately, have we? Hail mingled with fire, hail that comes down, and then it would catch on fire. I wonder if that's where they got the uh, uh, if they got to the idea for HEI explosives. I used to load those that HEI high explosive incendiary. It wasn't just that they went there and went boom; they went boom and caught on fire. All right, and uh, and so these things were used, and and so uh, you know, and then the locusts and so forth. Three days of darkness. And then we know the last one has to do with the death of the firstborn. And on your paper, there's a correction that needs to be made. I was going to pass something out. And what I want you to do is if you have a pencil or a pen, I, I want you to mark a line through the last uh, four or the last three words in, uh, under death of the firstborn. It says announced. And then I want you to put a line through that to Israel only. It was announced, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh knew about it because Moses told him. So, so let's, let's look at that. Look in, look in chapter 11 with me, Exodus 11, and look in verse 1. I'll wait for you all to get there. Thank you for turning. Exodus 11 and 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. In other words, this was going to be a significant thing that was going to take place. So look with me, and he goes through this, and look down at verse Look down at verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now watch. What it, watch what it says. And all these thy servants shall come down to me. He's speaking now. I believe he's speaking there to Pharaoh. All these servants are going to come down to me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And no watch. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And so, you know, and here's the thing. God had warned them so many times. He was doing these things. He was manifesting these things. And these folks, if you will, they had the opportunity to repent. They had the opportunity to do something about their situation. And they chose not to. They chose not to. And so uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened in this. And, of course, we know what takes place then in chapter 12. And, uh, and look, look in chapter 12 and look in verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night... He and all his servants, I'm in verse 30, and, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel. Go 
Serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said. And be gone and, 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 catch, and, and bless me also. I don't know what he was looking for. But I think that bless me also was a little too little too late. But he wanted them gone. And they leave. And, uh, and, so, and so we know this. And, and so the first part of chapter 12 is all about the institution of the Passover. And we see two things here in this. We see that the, as the Passover was initiated, they were first of all, they were delivered by blood. They took the remedy, those Jews, those, they, they took the remedy. They said they were to take that Passover lamb and, uh, and, and notice something, the, this Passover lamb. And it says this, this was a lamb who was to be chosen and tested. And he is to be observed four days. What, what were the, why were they looking at him? What were they looking him over for in those four days? That he'd be without blemish. What 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 if a, I, I you know my grandpa had had an old ram, but we never really had sheep, and uh, so I I don't know anything about that. But can an animal look good but not be well? Is that possible? Some of y'all that are in the four H is that possible? And uh, that's why they test all the animals, right? When they come in, they got to. They might look good, all brushed, everything, but they got to pass a little test. And I think it's interesting here. And I'm not trying to make more out of this than what's here. But numbers are significant. You know, four uh, kind of has to do with earthly things. There are uh, there are <clears throat> four seasons: summer, fall, winter, spring. Right? Four major compass points: north, south, east, west. And so four kind of represents earthly things. Three would be deity. And I think just like this, the Lord Jesus, if you will, was the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so he was born of a woman, the book of Galatians says, made under the law. Born of a woman, made under the law. And over his lifetime, what? He, had a, he was virgin born, lived a virtuous life, and was observed in the earth. In other words, he was observed... Uh, for 33 and a half years, if you will. Not just the years of his ministry, but even as a young man, just like how this lamb had to be observed to make sure it didn't have a spot or a blemish and that it wasn't sickly. And so to our Savior, to be our Savior, he had to be without spot and without blemish if he was going to be the Lamb of God. And he was, is, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And four kind of... Kind of uh, refers to that, the lamb slain. And so in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, this is where Paul writes and says that Jesus Christ is our Passover. and He was the Passover lamb, their sacrifice for us. And so, so they were not partly saved. They were not partly delivered. No, they were completely delivered. And how were they delivered? What was the ingredient? When God said, when I see the what? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so they're delivered by blood, and then later you're going to see they're delivered by power. Because what happens? Man, Pharaoh has a change of mind, and he's going to pursue them, right? 
And they get out there and they're chasing them through that area. And Pharaoh had, they had these chariots. And I mean, all these people are leaving. They're on foot and so forth, bringing all these things, the spoil of Egypt that they had. And they get out there and and there's a passage. and, and, And Moses says to them as he stands there before the Red Sea, he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And man, he takes that staff and puts it over there. And you and I both know, man, those waters went back. And I don't care how good Cecil B. DeMille made it look in the Ten Commandments. I don't think it was anything like that. I think, I, I don't know how he did it. I'm going to be interested to hear when we get there and, uh, and, and know how that was done. But I just know this, they went over on dry land. And, uh, and so, and so how, what happened when Pharaoh got in the midst of that stuff with his army, all that water came crashing back down upon them and they died. They drowned in there. And, and, the, and the thing of it is, they were not only delivered by blood, but they were delivered by power. What power? The power of God. It wasn't the power of Moses. It wasn't the power of some Hebrew boy. No, it was the power of God that did this. Now, he used Moses. But my point is, beloved, that you and I, we have been delivered the same way, by blood and by power, according to Romans chapter 6. Why? So that, so that sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. We, we don't have to answer the demands of the flesh. We don't have to yield to that. Why? We've been given a power in, that, in our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ that we can know and then reckon it to be so, and yield ourselves. That we have a choice now in this matter. We can yield ourselves. And really what you're talking about here is to submit yourself. And, I, you know, I, I, I read this to somebody yesterday that, you know, Paul said, man, he, he was glad when he had those infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ might rest upon him. He said, in my weakness, and when I'm weak, that's when I am strong why he was he was yielding himself submitting himself and uh, if they hadn't have done if they hadn't have followed through on that then they i'm speaking about israel i mean if they had just stood there instead of going forward no they went in there they were deliverance they obeyed and they submitted and so and so we see that that their deliverance it is complete and so too it is for us you know after I got saved, I had when I, if you mentioned that word, and Brother Roger, you, you talked about this, that other people suddenly were interested in some of the converts or whatever. You know, well, it happened, you know, that, that people were now interested in me. Like some of them, you know, when I, when I went back to work to the tower and I told them I'd got saved on that Sunday, and man, then, the, then they want to know, well, man, I, 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 I'm going to bring in my baptismal certificate and all that kind of stuff. You know, and, that, and some of them got interested, and there was a guy there, Gary Barfus. And Gary Barfus, well, as I turned out, as it turned out, was a Mormon. Well, I didn't know that the whole time I worked with him, and I didn't know about these other people. And I said to him, I said, "Man, we would go drink together. How come y'all didn't talk to me?" But suddenly they got interested after I said I'd gotten saved, and so Gary Barfus tried to invite us. Well, he did invite invite me to come to the. He didn't call it church. I'm trying to think what he called it. I guess it is the church of the. The, the hall, no, that's Kingdom Hall. But anyway, whatever the building was, and, and I said, well, I said, Mormon, because I, I grew up with a kid, who, a, a friend who was a Mormon, and I thought they were really nice guys, you know, because when you don't have any Bible training, you don't have any church back, you don't know what you don't know. 
And Gary said, well, we're the only people that know where we came from and where we're going. I said, well, where'd y'all come from? I didn't know. I was green. Man, I was green and grass. I mean, you know, I was so green that we got excited over the radio program Unshackled. <coughs> you know, I told Debbie on there one night, I said, hey, people are getting saved on the radio. Come out here, you know. And it was a radio program, the testimonies of people. We would listen to that every night. What a blessing it was, you know. And, uh, but Gary said, yeah, we came, he said, we came from another planet, came from the veil of forgetfulness. And I went, what, you know. Yeah, we're Nephites, and we've been here, and we're doing that, and all this kind of stuff. Well, needless to say, I didn't go to the hall with them, brother. <clears throat> I didn't know what that, Debbie didn't want to go because they didn't drink coffee. <laughs> and so, um, but my point is, is that we didn't get partially delivered. According to the book of Colossians in chapter 2, and we are complete in Him. It's not about us getting more of Him or more of the Holy Ghost. It's more of the Holy Ghost getting a hold of us. It's sort of like the rooms in your house. You know, if you invited me in, you may not, that may not mean you say, make yourself at home. Okay, Brother Jeff. <laughs> so does that, mean, does that mean that I can just go to, look in the garage, go in the laundry room, go in the backyard? Oh, man, there's the master bedroom. What is that? Oh, son, that looks nice. You know, to, honey, I think I'm going to use this bathroom. It's a lot nicer, you know. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, all He wants is access to every room, to every area of the house as you submit to that. So we use those terms like make yourself at home, but we, it ain't really home. <laughs> That's just a figure of speech. Get you in trouble. But we're delivered by blood, and we've been delivered by power, beloved. And don't ever forget that, man. That's why we sing that song, you know. It says, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. And that deliverance is good and good and good and will be. Will be for all of eternity. So, so we have their deliverance, the exodus. And so then we, come to, then we come to the law. And the law is going to be all about here in chapters 19 through 25 is all about the holiness of God and really where man measures into that. How man measures into that. And so the New Testament gives us standards, if you will, and uh, correction, the Old Testament, the law, uh, according, to, according to the New Testament, gives us these three distinct purposes, if you will. It revealed God's holiness. It also revealed man's sinfulness. Uh, you, know, you know, I've heard it. I, I remember uh, in Mississippi hearing some of, some, when I, Debbie and I were doing mission work, we would hear about people, you know, telling them, you, you keep the commandments. You've got to keep the commandments. And when you, when you die, you, you know, you, you go to a waiting place and there's a scale up there. And you're going to have to stand on the scale. And over here is going to be your good works. And over there is going to be your bad works to see what you did with the commandments. That, that does not bring salvation. It's sort of like, I, you know, I could guess as to how tall... Uh, Brother Brant is, I might say, well, man, he looks like he might be 6'3 or whatever. You know, I could guess at that. But until I put a rule up there, until I put a standard of measure up there, it's just that. It's a guess. 
And God gave the law so that we might see where we stand in relationship. And this is why, you know, this is why Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and what? And come short of the glory of God. We just haven't measured up. And the law came that we could see. That's why it says it was our schoolmaster in the book of Galatians to bring us to Christ, to show me where I was in my relationship. To him, and so, so in the doing of these things, it reveals God's holiness to us, and God is holy, and so forth. It reveals our sinfulness, and then to distinguish, and go to Psalm one forty-seven. The giving of the law separated them. Now, how many of y'all have heard of the Hammurabi's code? One person raised their hand. Who was he, brother? He was back back in the uh, back in the days of you know, like between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, the early Western civilization is the way it's phrased in college. You take early Western civ, that's what early Western civilization. I asked you to go to to uh, Psalm one forty seven. Go to Psalm one forty seven with me, and you'll see this. But Hammurabi's code was almost like the first set of. According to the according to the professors, because they never recognized the Bible, they never looked at the law of Moses. Man, that was like taboo. We can't talk about that. But you could talk about Hammurabi's code and all those things. It was supposed to be like good behavior. What they expected of the people that that lived there in that time amongst those people and so forth. But look in Psalm one forty seven. Look in verse nineteen. What it says: He showed his word. Unto Jacob his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. Now watch. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. In other words, God was, had singled out Israel in giving them these commandments, if you will. Giving them the law. Again, why? What was their purpose? They were to glorify God in the world. They were to make him known amongst the world that then was and uh, and so and so these people that came along at this time and so forth they had this law and so the law of God was given as a standard this was God's expectation and as you as you look at it in these commandments they were given there to co- to govern moral life and the bottom line of all these things of all these laws that God expected them to keep was basically meant that they had to be perfect. And I don't know, as much as I care about you, I don't know anybody in here that's perfect. Okay? And, uh, and so, I mean, you know, and it's, and it's because it reveals what we are. That we're sinners by nature and by choice. Like the moth is drawn to a flame or a light, so men are drawn. They have an affinity for sin. They're drawn to it. Do you have to teach your children to misbehave? To be disobedient? Did you have to teach them how to lie? Did you have to teach them how to roll their eyes? I mean, where did they get that from? 
<laughs> nice try. Hey, it just comes from within, doesn't it? it comes from within. And, uh, and so, so these commandments, the, the, the Ten Commandments, sometimes referred to as the Decalogue. Have you all ever heard of that? The Deca, Deca means ten. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. These first four that are given here, have no other gods, make no graven images, do not take his name in vain, remember the Sabbath day. Those all have to do with man's relationship to God. Have, you know, have no, have no other gods. Well, then that, that would have to eliminate ourselves right off the top because when men do what they want to do, they be, basically become a god unto themselves. You know, we, uh, we uh, attended a thing yesterday, Brother Roger and I, that was put on by the, by the school board here. Not school board, but some of the officers. And I didn't realize there were so many officers. Did you, Brother Roger? In the, uh, you know, I, I thought, man, I, I could see where I could save on some of my tax dollars. They cut the fat out of the bureaucracy. I'm serious. Now, I'm, I'm dead serious. I didn't know they had a, a CFO and they had a, a vice director, president of communications and Somebody else that did something else with something else and all these other things. And man, we didn't talk about a textbook. And, uh, but basically the guy, the, the, the gentleman that got up there as nice as he could be and so forth and basically said, you know, he said, these kids, we, we need help. And these kids, they have their own set of values. They have their own ideas about what's black and what's white and, and basically about what's right and wrong. And I thought to myself, well, when you've taken away the only authority that they could have had, then they have to decide for themselves what is right. And I, I, I said something to an, another pastor that was there. I said, you know, it's like in the time of the book of Judges. There was, there was a time when there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so who becomes God then? Who becomes the authority? We as the individual does. And when you take the book away from them, and then now you're trying to solicit help, to work with the results of taking the book away. I mean, that's why I have never understood this. Brother John can take all the Bibles he wants to into prison. You know, you, when you want to, you could take all these things in there to remediate people. Wouldn't it have been nice for them to have had the truth before they wound up there? I mean, if that works in remediation, why can't that work on the front end? And you know what? I don't think you have to have a degree in psychology or business management or analysis to figure that out. Anyway, and so these commandments were given to, given to govern moral life. And God was wanting to do that because, because, you know, obviously, apparently, I mean, over the things that had happened prior to these years, there had been a lot of immorality. And, uh, and so... And so the last six, those are all manward. Notice what it says. Honor thy father and mother. That's your relationship to your parents. And then do not kill. That's, that's what thou shalt not kill. What does that have to do with? That has to do with murder. Now let's, let's talk about something here uh, just, just for a moment. When there's an execution, when there is a righteous judgment that has taken place and someone loses their life as a result of an execution done lawfully and legally, then that's not murder. Yes, Amen, Brother Ed. 
So don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. They get out there, you know, abolish the death penalty. God is the one that instituted the death penalty. Do you know where that is in your Bible? Go to the book of Genesis. Go to chapter 9 with me. Genesis, turn left. Just one book over. You're in Exodus. Look in chapter 9. And look in verse 6. Sister, do you want me to separate him from you? Okay. <laughs> Not talking about you. I'm, I, I'm going to put all the I'm going to put all the bad chaps right up here in front. Yeah. <laughs> Proverbs twenty eight one brother says the wicked flee when no man pursueth. <laughs> Genesis nine and verse six. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, look what it says. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. That's talking about murder. But the book of Proverbs says, if another man takes another man's life, it says, let, no, let him flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. You've heard that term, a stay of execution. Let no man stay him. Why? No, what's it talking about? That that judgment, that execution should be done speedily. Ecclesiastes talks about this because we live in a time, it was also evidently a time maybe in Solomon's day, he wrote, he said, when you delay, when you delay that sentence and that, and, and that judgment on, on punishment, he said that basically the bottom line is criminals are emboldened. It's kind of like what we got right now. Defund the police. And what does that mean? Just go in and help yourself. Man, I, you know, we ought to do that. At, we ought to go to academy, brother. At, at go to academy and just, I'd like to have a bigger, you know, I want one of those bigger screens. Or my, I, I think I just ought to be able to go in there and get that. If they, if they can get a Gucci or whatever kind of, all, all the bags and all that stuff and do that. I'd have to go to California, though, to do it, brother, because here in Texas, I think they'd hurt you. They would hurt me. But, <laughs> yeah. Could be. But you understand my point. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But it says, do not kill. Not only that, but not only was it not delayed, but it was also public. Yes, it was. Private. And so our youth do not have any fear of the repercussion of their bad choices. Right. Don't see it. Be- because, you know, um, what's the word? Choices have consequences in a lot of ways. But do not kill. That's what thou shalt not kill. And that's why the laws are there in times of war. When you take the enemy's life, you're not guilty of murder. That's war. Now, when he's no longer a combatant and you take his life, now you cross the line. If someone reports you. And so, uh, thou shalt not kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Man, that's, that's a... That's a sin against your brother. Okay? Don't steal. 
The New Testament has plenty to say about these things. Let him that stole steal no more, but work rather with your own hands. Okay? And uh, don't bear false witness. Don't be a liar. Let every man speak truth with his neighbor. Speak truth. Get in the habit of doing that. Speaking the truth, you should be. Get in the habit of it. Be honest. Do not bear false witness. Don't lie, all right? And don't covet anything of your neighbors. Thou shalt not covet. Don't be desirous of those things. You should be happy when your neighbor gets a blessing, not like, oh my, there's something new that I can get. No, it's not what it is, all right? And so, and so these laws, these laws were given, first of all, if you will, uh, to provide some moral context. And then the, the last one, the judgments that are in chapters 21 through 23, and you can go back and look at these things, but these were to govern social life. Man, God took care of everything. What, you know, we live in a time today that, you know, if you have a bad bull... Some, somebody will sue you or whatever, or they'll just tell you you can't have the bad bull. You know, it, 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 we, live in a, we live in the days, if you will, of prohibition. That you can't have this, and you can't do that, and you can't do that. And God said, you know, if you have a bull, and it's a bad bull, and you know it, and you keep him. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. You know it, and you keep him, and he gets over there and does damage in your neighbor's yard. Then you're going to have to pay for that, because you knew that, that basically that bull was bad. And if he killed someone, now the bull's going to die and, and there's, going to be, there's going to be some more severe repercussions because you had knowledge of it. And so, so God was dealing with these matters of the little intricacies of, of, of things that happen between people. And many of the laws that are on the books today really have their basis, if you will, in the Bible, in the Word of God. In these social matters of how, how people got along, if they were trespassing or whatever. And, uh, and so, so, so if there were physical injuries or property rights, <clears throat> things that had to be maintained and, and so forth. And, 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 and about evil practices and, and the like. And so there were these moral judgments, but there were also these social things so that people could learn how to get along. And God took care of all the little, all the little, I, to me, a lot of the little, what we call gray areas, He addressed. And so if, if people would, would really address these things and go back to, to some of these things, if you will, there, there would be a, a, a lot less problems. But the bottom line here, beloved, is, is this. You know, the gospel, I'm about out of time, the gospel is the answer. To race issues. The gospel is the answer to labor relations. It really is. It it takes care of the problem between employers and employees. It sets some standards for there. It sets the standards on on the racism issue. Paul said, I became all things to all men that I might gain some. All right? And that, you know, that he looked at life, in other words, differently through the eyes of someone who was saved. I mean, the Lord Jesus gave that. I mean, who, who would he use, who would the Lord Jesus use in his illustrations of somebody that was going to do the right thing? 
Oftentimes, he used a Samaritan. (laughs) And who were the Samaritans to the Jews? Y'all remember? They were lowlifes. On a scale of 1 to 10, they were off the scale. They were half-breed Jews who had been, part of them had stayed in the land during the deportations, and there were three of them during those deportations. Part of them stayed in the land with Jeremiah. The others went with Ezekiel into captivity. And how, how they would do it, rather than just wipe out a people... They would breed them out, and that's what they did. So they kept, they kept, they took the young men out of Israel, put them over there like Daniel and the others, put them in Babylon. They imported the women, and the women married the men, and now you have this intermingling of, of the tribes and the races and so forth. Remember when they came back and, and what, what they had to do, what Ezra said to do, man. Because over there, they had taken wives, right? They had taken Babylonian wives. Now they had to come back and make this pure race again. It was a tough thing. It was a hard thing that had to be done. But the answer to these matters, if you will, is in the gospel. That you just don't think that you are the superior. You understand that how that works? In other words, that, that all men matter. Not just the ones that look like you. Because they have souls for which Christ died. Amen. That, that, that's how you handle it. And uh, so, so the gospel is the answer to these things. It's the, it's the answer to domestic problems. Between husband and wife. It, it's the answer to family problems. Between siblings and parents and so forth, the gospel is the answer. To, to be like Christ. That, that, that's the hope of glory, Christ in us. And, uh, and to make that difference, all right? And so, could, could I just take a little more time? Could I just have a few more minutes and finish this right here? Let's talk about the tabernacle. And, 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 uh, and you say, well, why does that come right after the law? Why does that? Well, it's because, it's because, go, go, to, go, to, uh, go to Exodus 24. Let me just give you this verse. Then we'll, we'll go through this. But I want you to see this. Exodus 24. This is when the nation is going to be enjoined. That's a legal term, that they're going to be made a part of this contract. You know, here you got, here you got a businessman, he's got a, he has a craft, and you want that craft done, and uh, there's a contract that goes out between you, okay? For X number of dollars, you promise to do this for me and my business. He said, yes, I do. You exchange the money, and the, con- the, the, the terms of the contract are now binding. You've been enjoined. That's a legal term. And so what happens here, look, look in, look in uh, Exodus 24, and, uh, and, and notice what it says. Uh, look in verse 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, those are the sons there, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. So here's the picture. He, he, they've had the law, they've done all these things, they're going through, he's given them all these, all the moral things, all the social things, they're working through all these things and explaining these things, and now it comes to, 
All right, now I want you to come back up on the mountain. All right, and and this is what I want you to do. And so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. Man, we're in it. We're going to do this. Whatever he has said, now we don't want to talk to him, Moses. You talk to him because we might be killed, all right? So you talk to him and, uh, you know, and, and then you come tell us what he said. And he said, but everything that he said that we're supposed to do, we're going to do it. And, uh, and so he, 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 he brings them to that. And look at verse 7. It says, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do. And he, they added something to it. And be obedient. They just wanted to emphasize, we're not just going to be good, but we're going to be really good. We're going to do all these things. We like all these things. We're going to do all these things. All right? And notice what it says. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Right there. There was the consideration. There was the payment. Two sides of the contract. Payments made. Now that they sign, now they're responsible. And so what does the Lord tell Moses? Look, get through all that. Moses go to this cloud and he was up there 40 days and the Lord spake unto Moses, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly his heart. And, and, and so they, he starts collecting this offering and so forth and all these things that take place and, and you know that they give and give, and they finally give so much and so forth. But he does all that, and then he begins to give him, he starts giving him the pattern for all the furniture in the tabernacle. I mean, Moses is Moses has got to get it together. You know, now he had had some training, you know, in Egypt, but now, now he's going to be getting all this stuff. And so look what it says. Look at verse 9. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Thou shalt overlay it, and that upon it will be a crown of gold round about. I mean, he's going to get down. I mean, it's like God is an interior decorator. And he's given them all these things and he's given them all this stuff. And why did he do that? Because God knew that all that pious gas they'd already said, everything that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient was just that, pious gas. Because he knew they couldn't. They just didn't know that they couldn't. And so the tabernacle is given all the construction of everything, the materials. And all those things are given. And why? So that God can maintain fellowship with them. Because they are sinful people. That's why this brazen altar, that's why the brazen altar there in the Old Testament, the fire never went out except when they were moving. But the fire never went out otherwise. Why? Because... The priest's work was never done. There was no furniture for him to sit on and all those things. Because the fire, was, there was always a line. Sub Jew, just get done. I, you know, I want to like, good night. They, I wonder if they talk to you. 
Did you, did you hear what he said he did? I can't believe that. And then, then, you know, 40 people, well, here's another one. You know, it's kind of like what we would do on the ambulance. You know, we'd say, well, how many broke legs are we going to have today? You know, and it might be, so you start off with one and, and then, well, yeah, well, there's the second one. My point is, is that their work was never finished. Because those Israelites just kept on sinning. And they had to bring a sacrifice and they had to bring an offering. And so our relationship with God, it's maintained through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It started with Him, it stays with Him. Do you understand? In other words, when they didn't have it, He couldn't be in the midst of them. If they didn't have that, because He knew they couldn't keep that law. And they will prove that to be true in their history, in their record. But the tabernacle there, to me, it's the picture of grace. You got law, and now you got grace. The law identified the problem. The grace would be the means to take care of it. But again, remember, these are only pictures. So let's look at this right quick, all right? It's the link between a holy God and sinful men, just like Calvary is, all right? Every aspect of the tabernacle and the offerings to follow are but a shadow of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it tell us? 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says there is, but there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not Mary, not Allah, not, not Buddha, uh, you know, uh, not Holly Selassie, that's what, uh, uh, what are the Rastafarians believe, not Malcolm X. Not Elijah Muhammad. There's only one mediator between God and men, just like there was only one tabernacle. And it was the means of mediation between a holy God and sinful men. You had the curtains, the brazen altar, the priest's garment and consecration, all these things. You can look at these, the incense altar, the laver, the anointing oil, the workman, the picture. You know, the atonement through sacrifice, the pictures that are here, that brazen altar, as I've said, the laver. That was a thing that they talked about. It had mirrors in it so that when they would look in the laver, they could see themselves and see what had to be cleansed after they were working at the... uh, after they were working at the brazen altar. The laver there was for those partial cleanings that they had to have. And then the table of showbread. Christ is the bread of life. And uh, the altar of incense, prayer, that's Christ our intercessor. The candlestick, he's the light of the world. I mean, all these things are all pictures of him. And, you know, and, and on the outside, on the, 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 there were like four different coverings on the outside of their, of their colors in the holy place. And the one that was on the outside was the most drab. It was ordinary. There was nothing, there was no scarlet or purple to it. There was nothing that would draw people. It was just ordinary. And that's just how our Savior looked. He was just an ordinary looking man. The the scripture says what? There was no beauty that we should desire Him. This is the reason why. This is the reason why when, when Naaman got over there and they said, and the servant said, "Man, I want you to go to 
the Jordan and I want you to dip in there seven times. And he said, are not Arban and Farpar, are they not better? In other words, he was used to a place there where he had come from where there was good drinking water. He looked at that Jordan River, probably had to cross it to get there to talk to the man of Samaria there and saw that it was muddy and swollen and you want me to go down there and you want me to get clean in this filthy place? It's kind of like looking at Calvary. It's a bloody place. But it's the only means of our cleansing. So there are so many pictures here, so many things that refer back to the Lord Jesus as you go through this. And like I said, there's a whole study of this. And, and you know, and I'm going to be done with this and I'm, I'm going to let you go. Do you know what all that stuff sat on? Everything, all the boards and all this stuff, all, all those things, all the instruments, what I, not all the instruments, but everything, it all had sockets of silver. It all was on silver everywhere you went. There was brass in there, that was for judgment, the brazen altar. And there was gold and, and silver. But silver, all those boards of all those things, they all sat in those sockets of silver. And the whole thing, you know, silver is the metal of redemption. And that's what it was. It all rested on that. And, uh, and so, so what we have, I mean, um, to be a child of God and so forth and... Besides all these things, I'm just looking at, when I first learned about some of these things, and man, I just saw the wisdom of God, and and man, how He did, He he just doesn't do anything halfway. (laughs) And uh, and all that was there, and all that that represents to us. And you know know what, this this down here, let's go to Hebrews, and I'm going to be done. I promise. The book of Hebrews, and I want you to go to chapter, um, I'm going to say, chapter 9. Now, you know, when the Lord Jesus, when he was crucified, do you remember when Mary, when he said Mary, he called, her, he called her name Mary, and she recognized his voice, and she was going to go over to him, and he said, touch me not. I've not ascended to my father. That's because he hadn't fulfilled his, his uh, high priestly duties. Just like on the, in, on the Day of Atonement, when they would do that, that high priest had to go in once a year, and he had to offer that blood of that, of that lamb that was there. And he had to go into the Holy of Holies and he had to sprinkle the judgment seat that it might become a mercy seat. And he had to do that with that blood. Now watch what this says. Look, look in verse 22. And almost all things are by the law. I'm in Hebrews 9 verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. There's no forgiveness. There, there would still be a barrier that existed between a, a holy God and sinful men if there had been no Spilling of his blood. It was therefore necessary, now watch, that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the patterns of the things in heaven are what Moses and the children of Israel built. And those things were dealt with with the blood of bulls and goats and so forth. And 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 none of those things can take away sin. 
But it says, but the, but the thing that they were fashioned after in heaven had to be purified with something much better. And that was with the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And he offered it. Notice what it says. Look there with me. For, verse 24, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't go to some earthly tabernacle. He went to the one that was in heaven. Which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Wow. That's why he couldn't, because later on he's going to, later on he's going to tell Thomas what? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands inside, put my fingers in the, in the wounds and all this kind of stuff. The Lord said, okay, Thomas, here I am. You want to put your hand in my side? And put your hand well, he was offered to be touched. Why? He could do it then because he'd already taken the blood to that heavenly tabernacle and sealed the bargain. Purified those things with his own blood. And do you see how this relationship between... You know, somebody said this a long time ago. They said the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth. Man, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all for your patience tonight. I appreciate you letting me just go a little over. All right? But Lord willing, we'll we'll, uh, dive into Leviticus. If you have a question, you can talk to me on Sunday or whatever, all right? Any question? All right, good. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you for my church family. Thank you for their patience tonight. I know they've worked hard today. And I pray, Father, you'll bless them. And Lord, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the pictures and shadows and types that that point us to our Savior, but above all, Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain indeed from the foundation of the world. And how you did these things, not not just ceremonially, but legally, and uh, that are ours to enjoy, and all the benefits of it, Lord, yet we've not fully realized, but one day it will be realized, and faith will then become sight. I pray you'll bless them as they go to their homes tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.